and welcome back to today's edition of Fresh New Shorts, a collection of short stories written and read by the author. This series is following the collection of stories found in the book A Physicist Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena by author John Blackmore. This week's story, Cassini's Daughter, features another physicist as a main character. As he drives north from the very large array, he remembers how he first found his love for the stars and the woman who is key to that discovery. Cassini's Daughter It's dangerous for me to drive at night. I was traveling up through the Dakota States when the moon rose early. I would drive, watching the road, but then glance out my window at the moon. My eye wandered the western edge of the Sea of Storms, the great Pacific Ocean of the moon, then north to the Sea of Rains. The nicotine-stained disk and its arid seas, brilliant and hovering above the corn-bristled land. Those names, more than the moon itself, first captured me as a boy. Some children search for something to connect them with the world. Others look for something that distinguishes them. I was the latter. The geography of the moon, a dramatic world of fantastical names, was mine, and mine alone among everyone in my neighborhood. And so the bright white face of parched valleys and craters pulled me off course as I drove. In my distraction, I missed a turn or made a wrong one. I had lost my way. I stopped the car in the middle of the narrow two-lane blacktop. The map offered little guidance, given my decision to follow secondary and tertiary roads, for no reason other than deep down I was delaying my arrival. It was a long, thoughtful ride winding back home for the wedding, driving north from my work at the observatory in New Mexico. I sat in the car, still gripping the wheel, staring ahead at the road. Then, inevitably, I angled my head out the window to peer again at the rising moon. It was always this way at night. The sky holds me. Eventually I gave up and got out of the car. An infinite field of short spring corn, blue in the moonlight, lapped at the brink and stretched from the asphalt out towards the gentle arc of earth. I checked the ropes holding the chairs bound to the roof. They were chairs made from tangles of twigs and branches bent and lashed together. I'd bought the pair yesterday in South Dakota from a woman with wild raven hair tied back in the fashion of her furniture. She was selling her chairs on a road like this one, from a house that seemed to lean into a permanent wind. The chairs were a wedding gift, I told her. It felt like she needed conversation more than money. I brought one down from the roof rack. I had always hated these chairs. Ten years ago, I was at a country market with a woman whose wedding I now drove a thousand miles to attend. We were looking at similar chairs, and we tried them out. A stick poked me, and I stood up. She stayed where she was. I sat down again with the same result. Madeline, you find these comfortable? You think these are comfortable? I asked her. I sat down in the chair I had just bought. Twilight blew in over the tops of the corn, a rustling shh that swept from east to west like waves of sound from faraway crowds. I looked up to the sector 15 degrees below the moon. Venus would appear there as a blazing white point. 
Are you close to the people getting married? The woman selling the chairs had asked. I know her, not him, I said. She fiddled with the chair, thinking about my answer. You loved her, she said. She looked at me for confirmation, waiting for a long moment in her field of empty, twisty chairs, in a wind that never wore out. This is how I got my first telescope. When I was 14, my family bought a cottage on Amic Lake. The Cassinis came from the far shore to welcome us. Mr. Cassini cradled two bottles of scotch, an ice bucket made from an elephant's foot, and three packages of black licorice Twizzlers. Mrs. Cassini sparkled in the sun, wearing a long series of bracelets up her arm that tinkled like wind chimes as she moved. The Cassinis had one daughter, Madeline. I watched her walk up from the dock. Her dark hair was tied in a ponytail, still faintly wet at the ends from swimming. I could not stop looking at her. We sat down on kitchen chairs pulled into the shade as heat beetles fizzed in the trees above us. My mother and father listened as the Cassinis told us lake stories of boats and generators that disappeared, inheritances gone awry, midnight affairs by canoe, deep waters that did not yield their dead. So where can a man relieve himself? Mr. Cassini asked. He motioned for me to come. I heard there's a boy moving over here, and I've got some merchandise that might be of interest. I didn't answer. It didn't matter. He continued talking, his voice muffled inside the small wooden box. I had a partner, a real screw-up, but that's a whole other story. He stiffed me. We had to settle with him, so much on the dollar, and I ended up with this store, filled with binoculars and scopes and stuff. Jesus. I managed to sell most of it, but I saved one thing, because I knew a boy was moving in across the lake. He came out flicking his hands. It's my gift to you. I followed him down to the dock. Cassini reached over the side of his boat, fished around in a big duffel bag, and pulled out a meter-long white tube on a silver tripod. My first telescope. I ran up the lawn to where my father was offering Mrs. Cassini crackers and cheese whiz. He wanted me to return it. It would be a slap in my face if your boy didn't take this gift, Mr. Cassini said. I remember my first views of the moon that summer, staring through the telescope at its brilliance. My eye would have to readjust to the night after navigating those waterless seas. From the moon, I went out deeper. I learned to track the planets as they moved about the summer constellations. I found the four observable moons of Jupiter, black specks like flies against its flaming swirls of orange, the rings of Saturn, and its great green moon, Titan. There were other things. Sometimes, Madeline came down to the water. I watched her walk down the dock, lit by the Cassini's spindly red and yellow Chinese lanterns. Madeline approached the edge and looked out into the water. She pulled down her shorts and tugged off her sweatshirt, 
and walked to the edge of the dock, hesitating with that anticipation of coldness. But then she was a flash of pale skin, like a meteor, as she dove into the blackness. In late July, I took our rattle chug outboard up the lake to the general store in Magnetowan. I picked among the aisles stocked with graham crackers, full mesh bug suits, pickled beets, jiffy pop popcorn. I saw Mr. Cassini holding a box of bullets in his hand. I thought I heard you chugging up the lake. I've got something for you. I walked with him to his boat. I bent under the boat canopy as Mr. Cassini pulled two beers from a cooler in the middle of the floor. The taste was new on my tongue. He moved to a seat by the wheel and tousled my hair. I just had the engine fixed. I wouldn't mind another man's opinion. He gunned the motor and the boat vaulted over the waves like a dolphin. He pulled back the throttle and the boat slowed in the middle of the lake. So you like the telescope? he asked. I nodded. My beer was foamy after the violent shaking of the boat ride. What do you see? he asked. I remembered something I had wanted to tell him. I've seen Saturn. There's a gap between the rings. It's called the Cassini Division. He nodded, but then his face changed. It's not the only Cassini you're looking at. My face flushed. It's what I thought, he said. Small red hearts appeared on his cheeks. Where I grew up, a thing like this would be a point of honor, and I would go to your dad's place and call him out. What do you think? No. What's that? No. You don't know who you're dealing with. I've done worse. He spit on the floor. You owe me, he said. He throttled the engine. You owe me, he shouted over the roar. That night... I took the telescope down to her dock and threw it in the water, a white thing wavering, reaching up to me, and then sinking to be lost in the darkness. A week later, I was on the dock when a paddle boat broke from the Cassini side and slowly started my way. It was Madeline. Does your dad know you're here? I asked. He wanted me to come ask you for a favor. Next weekend, he's coming up all alone to meet some businessmen. Mom and I will be shopping in Toronto. He said he'd feel better if you kept an eye on things. Sometimes he doesn't trust the people he works with. You could use your telescope. She was floating almost directly above it. The telescope has a few problems at the moment, I said. Well, I guess you can fix them. You're pretty smart, she said. Dad said that he figured you would want him to keep your discovery about the rings of Saturn a secret. What's he talking about? You know your dad, I said. It took an hour of diving into the muck by our dock, but I found the telescope. It was satisfying to take the telescope apart and dry it, polish it, grease its joints. It was dizzying to be back again with the chalky smudge of the Milky Way and its haze of a billion, billion stars. Squares of light appeared at the Cassini's cottage on the Saturday night. A shadow moved across the lights and then the blue sputter of television. Mr. Cassini seemed to be alone. I waited for the associates he had talked about, 
but nothing happened all night. Around midnight, he walked down to the dock. He hadn't turned on the Chinese lanterns, but I could see him wave a long, loping string, which I guessed was licorice, and then return to the cottage. The sound of a car starting carried across the still lake, and then everything was quiet. Madeline invited me over to their cottage on the Thursday after. Her father wanted to ask me something, and then maybe we could swim. Mr. Cassini was at the dock, along with another man in a pink golf shirt. It's good of you to come over on short notice. This man works for me. He needs to ask you one question. Imagine, he came all the way from Boston to ask you one simple question. The man in the pink shirt smiled with teeth like a Kennedy. Last Saturday night, did you see Mr. Cassini here at his cottage? I nodded. That would be a yes? Pink shirt asked. Yes. He smiled again. How did you see him? With my telescope. It's a good one to see all the way over here? He asked. Jesus, the boy sees the rings of Saturn, don't you? Mr. Cassini said. Pink shirt smiled. That's great. Mr. Cassini told us all that, but we had to make sure. Can you sign this page? It was a letter with a lawyer firm's name. It said I was witness to the fact Mr. Cassini was at his cottage on that Saturday night. I should get my father to read this first, I said. Mr. Cassini nodded. That's a smart idea. You, me, Madeline, and your dad, we can all talk telescopes. You know, if you're worried, this isn't official, Pink Shirt said. It just stops us from having to get a bunch of lawyer things, you know. He laughed at the joke that was hidden somewhere, or perhaps lost to me in plain sight. It was August. Summer was growing shallow. In the mornings, the lake would steam like spent horses in the rain. In the night, I would sit out to spot meteors. Omic's surface was absolutely still and mirrored the sky. Stars floated on the surface like water lilies. I picked the summer constellations out of the water. Cygnus, Aquila, Lyra a broad triangle that anchored the lake. I yearned to know this space, to stare at it for as long as I wanted, to be in it. It was like love. I watched the sky and the lake for a long time, jumping star to star until I reached the light on the far shore. I took off my sweater, a slight shiver of goosebumps blowing across my skin. I stripped to my underwear, I walked and then ran on the dock and dove into the star-filled blackness of space. The shock of cold. I began a front crawl that disturbed the very fabric of the night sky. I stopped in the middle of the lake. The ripples subsided, my breathing slowed, and I hung between the outstretched wings of Cygnus the Swan, out in the thin medium that binds the universe tenuously together. Off on the Cassini side, the Chinese lanterns lit up, and I turned to them. 
I tread water hard to boost myself higher, but could not see who was on the dock. Then I sunk below the surface, where it was black and thick and calm. I began to swim again towards the Cassinis. I put my feet on the ladder of their floating dock. She wasn't there. Did you come over here to see me or Madeline? Mr. Cassini asked. He walked onto the dock so I could see him. I pushed off and tread in the water. What happened the night I was watching the cottage? I asked. What do you think? Something happened. Did you see me here? I saw someone. And you don't think it was me? Even with your telescope? He clucked his tongue. What are you going to be when you're older? I didn't want to tell him, to share it with him, but I was starting to get cold. I was thinking of astronomy. Then you'll have to trust what you see. You might as well start now. I'll send Madeline down with some hot cocoa and a blanket. Take the canoe back. He looked over across the lake. Jesus, took nerve to swim over here. It's as black as hell out there. She wrapped me in a grey camp blanket. I was unable to will my chilled teeth to stop chattering. And then, Madeline's lips, so warm and delicate on mine. Mine so cold. As if I had journeyed across the reaches of space. On time, Venus pricked the sky with intense light 15 degrees below the moon. It was the reason most wishes went unfulfilled, people wishing upon a planet rather than the first star. I stood up and took down the other chair from the roof and placed it next to me for company. Madeline and I used to do this. She was my summers. We would sit together on country roads and watch the sky unfurl. I fell asleep in the chair and woke with a start. It was cold, and I felt the imprint of the twiggy chair on my face where I had leaned into it. I looked up. The sky was welling with stars. With so many points of light, the constellations were hidden in the throng, smeared by the Milky Way, spilling a path through them all. I was standing now, my head back, in awe of the beauty, a beauty so wonderful, so awesome, so unfathomable, it was painful. When the woman selling the chairs asked if I loved the friend getting married, I didn't answer right away, but she knew and nodded for me. She looked back at her house and pointed to it, indicating it was some explanation of her and why she was in this lonely place with twistwood chairs. I nodded too because her mystery and her enigmatic rationale were a matched and perfect set. I tied the chairs back on the roof. I opened the trunk and dug around for my book of sky charts from a box. I ripped the August page out of it, circled a clutch of stars around Hercules, and I wrote a date on it. This is what I would give Madeline. This perfect summer of her wedding. 
if she drives north to that cottage on the lake, if she and her new husband put these chairs on the dock and look to the southwest in the darkness, the Perseid meteor shower will streak wondrous flaming stars across the night sky, visible to the naked eye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, rate us five stars wherever your podcasts are available and subscribe for more. You can find the ebook, A Physicist Guide to Love, on Amazon. Come back and give us a listen again. <laughs>